Welcome to another episode of Compressed FM, a podcast all about web design and development with a little bit of zest. In today's episode, we are going to talk to Debbie O'Brien about the mystery that is end-to-end testing, specifically with a tool called a Playwright. Hey, everyone. My name is James Q. Quick, and I am a full-time technical content creator. Hello. My name is Amy Dutton, and I'm the director of design at Zeal. Web development and design, who would have guessed? Well, we can do them both, even add a little zest. So turn up the volume, get ready for the best. Let's get it started in this episode of Compressed. And we are joined with two fantastic sponsors in Daily.dev and Hashnode. Hashnode is my favorite place for developers (laughs) to start a blog and start creating content that they can share with other developers. Daily.dev is an extension that you can add to your browser to find the most up-to-date content in your area of interest, JavaScript, web development, whatever it is. So thank you for Daily.dev and Hashnode for sponsoring. And finally, welcome to the show, Debbie. So excited to have you here. Thank you. I was like, oh my God, when am I on? Come on, bring me on. <laughs> I know we've got to shorten that bit. So it's, or maybe it like builds the drama. That's, I think that's what I've we're been doing. Waiting, we're like, like building the suspense. It's a year to have a chat with you, James. I know. Yeah. <laughs> so the like slight background on that, I think we had tried to schedule something and it didn't work out. And then we like forgot to follow up maybe. And then we I finally. I think you're just a popular guy. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But we finally got it figured out and you're on the show. So for people, who may not know as much about you as I do. You want to tell people a little bit about your background and what you do? Sure. So I'm Debbie O'Brien. I'm Irish. I'm living in Mallorca in the beautiful island of Spain. And yeah, basically I'm doing a lot of sport during the day. If you follow me on Twitter, you'll see me like doing three hours of sport every day. And right now I'm working for Microsoft, basically focused on playwrights. So my aim is to make sure you're all testing your applications because like I went to buy an iPhone or an iWatch last night and the price is wrong in the iWatch and the link doesn't work and I couldn't even buy one. So they just lost a customer because they didn't write tests. So we're going to make sure you all write tests. (laughs) But yeah, basically I've been a developer advocate for quite a few years as well. And before that, I have a whole long story and loads of blog posts. So check them out if you want to learn a lot more. But James, you can ask questions on what you'd prefer to for me to talk about because my background could go like a whole hour two hours so i don't (laughs) want to go too deep (laughs) debbie's got a 20 page resume and i'll slide on for you to brag like i've always been a big fan of your content and especially your energy like the first time i don't even remember why we streamed together i'm sure i reached out for something that i saw but i can't remember exactly what it was it was with next Sure. It was with Nux. And maybe I just saw you post about it. I can't remember. But anyway, I see people post cool stuff. And I'm like, let's come talk about it. And the energy with that talk was so much fun. So I'm glad we finally get to follow up and do more. Sure is. So talk about maybe like a little bit more about your general experience. So before getting to Microsoft, which I hear was part of a five-year plan that we'll talk about in a minute, which is super cool, though. Leading up to that, like where did your interest in creating content slash teaching slash developer advocacy Was that something you knew you wanted to get into? Something you knew you've wanted to do for a while? Or where did that come from? Yeah. Okay, let me try and do a really quick version. Let me go back to the very, very start. So I'm in school and now it's going to university kind of plan. I want to be an actress. I want to be in Hollywood and I want to work with Leonardo DiCaprio. That was my dream. Uh, My mother says, if you're going to be an actress and you get a proper job and you need money, so think about a backup career. So I was like, okay, I'll be a secretary because that was easy. So I went to study to be a secretary. And while I'm doing this secretarial course, which is good because I learned to type and languages, and but it's very easy. So my friend was doing graphic and web design. And I had no idea what this even was, but I sat in her class and I was like, 
this looks so much fun. Why are you having fun? And I'm just like doing bookkeeping. <laughs> so I basically then joined that class and said, can I actually do this the whole year? Can I actually sign up for this? And they were like, yeah, it's a two year course and whatever you can't do because of subjects this year, you just repeat next year. I was like, cool. And there I was now writing websites just because I sat in someone's class. That's literally how it happened. And I did get my first job, but this is like 1997, back when the internet was terrible. We didn't even have the internet until the last trimester of the course. So it's like really old school days. And after a year of working with computer manuals and Dreamweaver and very boring stuff, I was like, this is no fun. So I went to Mallorca to work on a stage in a hotel as an entertainer, basically entertaining people and having fun because that was like my kind of actress area. And I did that for seven years, eight years, nine years, something like that. But I never had a job in the winter, right? You have a job in the summer. So then in the winter, you're unemployed. So I would travel. And after traveling and working in ski resorts, which is great fun, then I found the person who I'm now married to. So I'm now my husband. And I was like, I can't live in two countries. I need to live in one. Oh, what do I do? So while I was on benefits and unemployed, I did some free courses. So then it was like Photoshop and PHP and then started building websites for local bars, restaurants, fishmongers. I convinced them all they needed websites. Like back in the day when people were like, we don't need a website. Why do we need a website? You need a website. Built them all on Flash as well. So it's great technology because then that died. And I was like, oh, you need a new website now. <laughs> they were not impressed. And then like I started getting into sign what I call real jobs. So I worked for a couple of companies as a real front end developer doing HTML and CSS. But they kept running out of money and I kept getting unemployed. And this was really hard to survive in Mallorca with no money. So I became an English language teacher. So I studied to be the language teacher, like a TEFL course, and then worked in the language schools. So now I'm like an English teacher. And at the weekends, I'm building websites for bars and restaurants and taekwondo schools. And it's like, it's no fun. I'm like, I want to just do this full time, right? But nobody would hire me because tech had evolved. And I had been like studying like English teaching and doing other stuff. So I hadn't upskilled enough and I couldn't get a job at all because I had no JavaScript. So I had no JavaScript and no React, Vue, Webpack, nothing like that. So every company just said no to me all the time. And I was like, okay. And I'm now old at this stage, right? I'm not this young teenager anymore, right? So I'm like, what am I going to do? So I went back to full-time education and I started studying JavaScript. I spent seven months full-time, gave up being an English teacher literally spent all my life savings and just putting it into, I'm giving this one last go to learn to be like a JavaScript developer, to do front end and to get a proper job that's all year round. And I don't have to work like weekends to try and survive. And that was my goal. So I did that. And then I got a job in a great company, actually, in Blue Kiri, which is in Spain. And from there, the CEO was amazing. So he was the one that kept encouraging us to write blog posts, to share our knowledge to contribute to open source. And it was thanks to him he was pushing in this direction that I was like, I don't know if I can do this. People are going to see my content. And, and I think that was that gave me the go to like, you know, do this. And the benefit you get of sharing it because you're actually learning something and then you're like sharing it and then someone's liking it and it's helping other people. And you're like, oh my God, I'm helping people? I like this. I want to do this more. That's how it started. <laughs> the short version. Yeah. Everything about that I resonate with and I'm like aggressively nodding my head. I just did a post on Twitter the other day actually about a pro tip for aspiring developers or like early stage developers, learning developers. It's just to share, share mm -hmm. everything that you learn. It's a great way to continue to learn, to reinforce things that you have already learned, contribute back by potentially helping other people, getting motivation from people, leaving those comments. I mean, just everything that you said, I think is spot on. Cynthia in the 
chat is commenting that she saw that tweet. So I love the device and I love that that turned into something very practical for you. Not only did it have those other benefits, but unintentionally it opened up a whole new world of like, oh, this is an opportunity of something that I could actually do as a career as well. Yeah, and I didn't, like at that time, developer advocacy wasn't really a thing. It was kind of mm. like only just kind of starting, but nobody, re- I didn't know it existed. So it wasn't like I knew the path I wanted to follow. That that was, I never thought I'd be a developer advocate because I didn't know what one was or it existed. I was just creating content because I had got so much help when I was learning JavaScript that mm. I wanted to help people so that they could have a better life and a better future and learn JavaScript and learn stuff. And, it just evolved from there. Like It's like the job was created for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it really is. I eventually had the same epiphany because I was, we'll get to your Microsoft. Maybe that'll be the next thing. But I worked for Microsoft starting my career and I got turned down for two positions. And they said, what about a developer evangelist position? I'm like, I don't know what that is, but sure, it's Microsoft. And so like I got randomly kind of thrown into that world, not knowing that was a thing that people actually did, having no idea that that was a career. So it's nice mm-hmm. that it's becoming seemingly more apparent. It's becoming like more obvious of a career path for people, which is really nice, but still not the traditional one that you hear about. Yeah, there's still not a proper like path as in people don't know how, where do you go from one to the other? And I think it depends a lot on the company that you're going into to be an advocate for, right? Some of them require you almost to be a tech lead first and then to go into be a developer advocate. And some you could come straight out of college and go straight into being Mm -hmm. a developer advocate. It really depends on what you're advocating for, I think. 100%. 100%. You want to transition to the Microsoft piece for use? Like you mentioned us before we started recording. I was like, was Microsoft on your radar? And you were like, yep, 100%. It was on my five-year plan, like super confidently. Yeah. So what did your five-year plan look like? And then what was the process like getting on at Microsoft? So pretty much back to the company where I'm like creating blog posts and they were Microsoft certified as a company. So they are Microsoft partners. So they said that they wanted us all to be certified so they can get the next partner status. So they encouraged us to do the Microsoft exam and become Microsoft certified. So I was studying for that. And we were using a lot of Microsoft products as well. And um, that wasn't the thing that got me. It wasn't like, oh, yeah, I'm using Microsoft products. I want to work for Microsoft. Nothing like that. We were literally building chatbots for a travel company. You're going to chat and chatbots like this is four years ago, five years ago. So technology still wasn't great. And we were building them. And Microsoft sent to us two people to come over and help us build chatbots. So now we're sitting in our workplace with two people from Microsoft helping us build chatbots and like working through the code with us. I was building the front page for it. They were showing us how the Louis chatbot works and the code and how to build it. And I was like, wow, Microsoft cares so much about their customers that they're actually sending two people to our offices and we're nobody in Mallorca. We're not like some big giant. And like, this is really, really cool. And then I was like chatting to them and I had lunch with them all these days. And back in the on the last day, I went to the airport with them. I had McDonald's in the airport with them. And um, I was like, with my, you know, Microsoft books, are still studying to be certified. I was like, I think I really want to work for Microsoft. Like, it looks so cool to fly around the world and kind of help people. Right. And they were like, it's a really cool company to work for. You should totally do it. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to do this. So it was literally those two guys that came to our office that kind of just triggered it all off and then obviously it's okay how do you make it happen I've just learned JavaScript I'm no good right now I can no way work with Microsoft right I am like a beginner junior JavaScript developer at this stage but it's like you look at people who work there you look at what people are doing and you start to follow what they're doing so they're speaking at conferences they're writing blog posts they're creating content they're 
on podcasts. They're building code. They're sharing code. They have open source projects. And you just start to focus on things and say, right, I'm going to do this, this, and this. And my aim was five years. I just said, it's a five-year plan. And every time I went in for a job interview, they would say, so where are you going to be in five years? And I would say, I'm going to be in Microsoft. And they just like drop, right? Because it's like this little girl comes into their office to be interviewed. And, you know, and they just, you just learned JavaScript last year and you're going to go work in Microsoft. Like you live in Mallorca. Like, come on, that's not going to happen. And I was like, probably not going to happen, but this is my goal. I'm going to go for it. And I never, ever thought it would happen. I just reached for the stars and then the stars arrived. <laughs> I feel like that's the quote of the day. <laughs> I reached for the stars and then they just showed up. <laughs> yeah. How long did it take you from the four years? Yeah. So That's I gained awesome. a year of my life. I think COVID fast forwarded things. So really it was five years. <laughs> mm. Yeah. The COVID times yeah. are weird times. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe you can say like what your role is specifically at Microsoft, if you want to do that, then we'll transition into questions around testing and that sort of stuff. So what exactly is your role right now at Microsoft? Yeah, so it's called Senior Program Manager, right? So it's like, what does that mean? It's like, great question, right? But it's literally like advocating. So it's just another name, but kind of maybe a little bit more because I'm responsible for other things as opposed to just advocating, right? Mm -hmm. But mainly like my job is to work on the community team to help build the community around Playwright. So anything that is involved in making sure that there's good content out there. So, you know, YouTube videos, workshops, courses, blog posts, documentation, of course, super important. And like even just inside Microsoft, there's so many people, there's so many teams making sure they're aware that Playwright exists. And then globally, making sure everyone knows Playwright exists. Then you choose, do you want to work for Play? Do you want to use Playwright? Do you not want to use Playwright? But you know it exists. You know how it works. And getting feedback from people as well as in like, you know, what are their pain points? Why are they not using it? How can we fix it? How can we make that better? How can we bring that back to the engineering team and say like, you know, hey, people are loving this, but they're missing this. And that's the main kind of role. And trying to just like, I organize myself to make sure that all that happens and work very closely with the engineering team. But there's a lot to do. It's like a never ending uh, battle <laughs> of like, oh my God, I have like five years work just ahead of me without even like having anything else come in on top <laughs> of me. <you know? laughs> I guess that's a good place to be when you got plenty of things to work on in your backlog. I feel like Amy and I share this unending backlog of ideas and things that we want to work on, which is overwhelming, but also just you always have something to do. So there's never, never yeah. a dull moment. And the thing is, I was hired for this role, but I am not a testing expert. Mm -hmm. I didn't come in as someone who knows what they're doing or has even, I hadn't even worked with Playwright. And I'm going to be very honest about it. It's like when I got hired for Nuxt, for example, I was already speaking at mm -hmm. conferences. I was already writing content. It made sense. I knew what I was doing. I walked in there and I learned more. I didn't know everything, but it was, I knew what I was doing with Playwright. No, I'd built with Cypress. I'd used Selenium. I hadn't used Playwright ever. So I had to learn this new library, learn everything about it. I'm still learning. I still don't know everything. There's still things that people are writing tests and they're like, they know a lot more than me. I'm like, I haven't got to that stage yet. But it's like, because there's so much to learn, I can improve the docs in a different kind of way because I'm like, mm -hmm. this doesn't make sense to me. I, I get this. I don't understand this. So then my knowledge gets better, but the docs get better and everyone else's kind of knowledge hopefully improves as well. And I think that's always beneficial. Do you struggle with imposter syndrome at all? Because you said, I came into this job and I didn't even know Playwright and now I'm expected to work with it. Yeah, well, when my friend sent me the job advertisement and said, you should totally apply for this role, I was like, 
oh my God, like my dream is to work for Microsoft, but I don't want to be fired in my first week. No, no, no. I'm going to wait till <laughs> next year. So I'm not there yet. And she's like, come on, like you're totally ready. Just, you know, apply for it. So I was like, okay, I'm going to apply. But I'm, I never thought I would get it. I really didn't think. And like, yeah, I mean, I, I think when I got the job at Microsoft, it was kind of like, oh my God, they actually believe in me, right? And I got this on my own. There wasn't anyone that kind of like, you know, did anything for me. I created the presentation. I did the interview process. I passed everything. So I've got the job. So mm-hmm. they believe in me. Okay, I think I can deliver. Now, am I as good as the engineers out there? No. And the thing is, I think the good thing about the last couple of jobs I worked in, I worked with some very, very clever people, right? The creators of Nooks, for example, obviously amazing. Even the creators of Bit, obviously amazing engineers. So I can't compare myself to them. They're on a different mm-hmm. level. Mm-hmm. So I don't compare myself to the engineers of Playwright because they're just like, wow like up there right and I'm nowhere near but I'm not an engineer I'm good at speaking this is what I'm good at so if I kind of know what I'm good at then I can say okay imposter syndrome yes I don't know everything but also I walked into this job interview telling them I don't know everything Mm -hmm. so I didn't have to pretend and say hey I am the best tester in the world and I know everything no they knew I'd learned playwright in two weeks and literally create a presentation so I think that helps with being honest Mm -hmm. and saying this is what I know. This is what I don't know. And now I'm just going to learn more. Mm-hmm. That's great. I also think a lot of imposter syndrome comes from like in tech, you have to keep learning. Like I started learning stuff and you were even talking about your history. If you had come into this job interview based on the knowledge that you had with Dreamweaver, if you worked with front page, people were talking about that in the chat, yeah. that's not going to help you know, and there's a lot more to learn and it's just constantly learning and evolving and it's getting comfortable with that uncomfortableness of not knowing. Yeah. You will never know everything. You're never going to be at the top of the game. And this is the one thing I love about Microsoft is that you're never going to know everything. Like it's impossible and they don't expect you to, they want you to be constantly learning. So what I know today, I can compare with yesterday, but I can't really Mm -hmm. constantly compare with the future because it's never ending. Yeah. Do you, we haven't quite done this so far. We've got a couple of questions that I think we'll follow up from the chat with here, but do you want to give the intro to like what Playwright is and what in testing is as a whole? Okay. I'll give you kind of a looking back on like before I got my job, before I started studying JavaScript, right? And I was working as the front end developer. We were working on something that's similar to Airbnb, right? A property kind of thing. But instead of Airbnb for renting, it was for selling properties. So massive scale, lots of money kind of being involved. And we would test the application every Friday. So every Friday, every developer did testing, right? And testing involved everything being pushed to production and us spending two hours going through every device, every computer, every browser, and clicking around (laughs) and testing. That was my experience with testing. And when I went into job interviews and they said, like, have you done testing? And I would explain this process. They would look at me. Is it to say like, oh my God. And I was like, I had no idea. Like why? I was like, this is great. I do testing. I test every Friday. And you're like, and we're really good at it too. (laughs) (laughs) So this is basically what Playwright is doing is to stop people. Like there's still people that what I was doing five years ago are still doing today. They are still manually going to a website and they're manually clicking on Mm -hmm. those buttons Mm -hmm. and they're manually testing the applications. And with Playwright, it's to stop you manually having to do that by automating that process so that you create those tests and that test is going through and actually clicking that button for you because a computer is faster than you no matter how much you think it might not be. It can do the job so much faster. <laughs> and it's boring going around clicking like every Friday. It was so boring. I was like, oh, come on, I need to click those pages again and see if it works <laughs> and report all the bugs and then fix them, right? 
you just want something to do that for you. So Playwright is built to basically automate for end-to-end testing. It's very easy to use and it's just so nice, right? It has a whole test generator, which means that you can actually just click around and it will generate the code for you. That's cool. So if you don't even know how to write tests and you're new to testing and you're like, I don't know where to start and I don't have time to learn and I can't do this. Well, then you just use a test generator. It's going to generate code for you as you've clicked on that website. Now, is that perfect code? Maybe not, but somebody else could go over that and fix it. You could fix that later, but at least you have a starting point of a test. You've tested that payment feature of checkout. Now, at least you can say, and you know, you can accept money or the test will break if you've broken your code. So that's mm-hmm. kind of really important. And there's just like great features with Playwright, like testing on every browser. It's got a great VS Code extension. So you don't even have to ever use the terminal. You can just use VS Code and makes it super like nice and friendly, especially for non-terminal people who are like afraid of the terminal. You can also use a terminal if you love the terminal. That's totally cool. And then there's kind of like other tools like Trace Viewer where you can, when your tests do fail on CI and you're like, something happened, what happened? The API call could be, you don't know. You can get a whole trace view of everything that happens. You can inspect it. You can actually like, it's a whole DOM. So you can actually inspect the CSS, mm-hmm. everything you can like open dev tools. And you can see the whole timeline of everything. So it's better than a video, right? It's a whole like, this is just what happened in that test. And you can step through it step by step and see every single action call on everything. So it makes testing fun, which I think is what has been the problem in testing that people hate it because it's like, it's boring. And then you got to write code and then it fails and you don't know why. And it's like annoying. Whereas Playwright makes it fun. I think the more we make testing fun and easy, the more developers will just go and do it. And that's, mm-hmm. we're not testing enough and we need to do that. So yeah, that's what Playwright is. <laughs> I love it. Especially the making it fun part. So there's a question from Florian, which I think is a good one. Said that he's never used Playwright before, but he's used Cypress. So is Cypress in a similar space? Is that a competitor to Playwright in terms of end-to-end testing tools? Yeah, for sure. And Cypress, I've been using Cypress for years. Cypress have done an amazing job. And I've got great, you know, DX and great docs and great team. Benefits of Playwright are speed and no flakiness and auto-waiting <laughs> built in and things that you don't have to, it's just things are done for you, parallelism for free. And so just for me, Playwright is easier and it's faster and there's a hell of a lot of benefits. Apply Tools actually did literally yesterday a whole kind of Playwright versus Cypress and showed you kind of, you know, mm-hmm. Cypress has things better than Playwright, Playwright has things better than Cypress. What do you need? What is the problem you're trying to solve? If it's speed and scaling, then I would suggest Playwright. If you want the beautiful UIs, then, you know, on the dashboard, then Cypress are ahead of us on that for sure. So it depends on what you want. But yeah, Playwright, it remembers a lot younger. So we still have a lot more to build up. We are climbing very, very high at a very, very steep rate. And Playwright's just getting better and better. And just the whole VS Code integration, everything that's being built around it is just insane. So I would definitely check it out if you haven't already. And if you have problems with scaling or running tests and tests are slow, or if you have flaky tests, you need to see Playwright for sure. I think the thing that's intrigued me about Playwright is right now, when you try and install a new instance of SvelteKit, it asks you as part of the prompt and Mm. the installation process, do you want to include Playwright? I forgot about that. Yeah. That was an interesting decision that they made. There's another question also from Swaggity. I assume the answer is like it works with kind of whatever you're working with, but are, are there any specific languages that are frameworks that this integrates better with? Is it JavaScript specific? I guess is like a good starting point. Yeah, so it's focus mainly is JavaScript, TypeScript, TypeScript first, but also you can use Java, you can use Python, and you can use mm. .NET. 
Okay. And even when you're generating the code, I can I actually generated the code and then just shows, okay, I want that code in .NET and that will just write me .NET stuff. And then I could put that in. So if my whole code base was, was written in .NET, then I could still write tests in using the generator and then just put .NET code in. But yeah, you can, depending on what you're building with and the teams you're working with, a .NET developer, for example, is not going to write JavaScript because they just won't, right? And they're probably going to be writing, creating Blazor applications and they can test their Blazor applications completely in .NET and using the same kind of playwright, the same assertions, the same. So you can have different people on different teams using different languages, but using the same library and having to only learn one thing, which makes that super useful for, you know, multi-teams. That's awesome. Do either one of you know, is it like with Playwright being a built-in option for creating a SvelteKit project, does it come as a, a default option in other frameworks as well? Not yet. We need to work more on trying to get it in there. I guess that's part of my job. Probably should work on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I know Nooks are like using Playwright to test all like their stuff. And, you know, so it makes sense to kind of include it in. But like I said, Playwright is kind of still newer. So we still have a long way to go. Cypress has been in there for so many years. It's just always been part of the package for such a long time. But definitely something we should look into for future. But yeah. Now, for clarity, you'd still use, say, Jest for unit testing? And then layer on, or you just do playwright on everything. So I would just write, like, it's early days, right? But right now, I would say, like, I would just use playwright for everything because okay. it depends on what you need, but it depends on what you're building, what you're testing. So there's no real right answer for this, right? Some mm -hmm. people are writing unit tests, and they need to write unit tests, and that makes sense for what they're building. When I was working in Bit, I was testing every single component, and I was writing unit tests for all of them. But now we have component testing for end-to-end -end testing. So Cypress has it, playwright has it. And this is kind of a newer thing, right? Component testing and kind of end to end. Mm -hmm. So again, what are you testing? What do you need to test? And I think there's a, such a crossover between both of them right now that it's like, the main thing is to get developers to write tests. Mm -hmm. If I'm going to say to you, you have to write an end to end test for this and a unit test for this. It's like, well, I'm never going to learn two things. Mm -hmm. Why not just try and learn one and do everything with that one, unless you specifically can't do something and you need to do something else but try and aim to get everything done through end-to-end -end testing. That's what I would suggest, but I'm not saying that's the right or wrong answer, just that's my personal opinion. Mm -hmm. Now, I've heard that too, in terms of end-to-end -end is the basically the holy grail of testing because that's how users actually use your application. That's what you, yep. the way you want to be testing. And does this start from a visual perspective? And what I mean is when you run your test, is it actually going to run your website and then click a button save a record and then show that that record shows up in the list? Like, is it actually interacting with the website, which then triggers backend logic to happen, which then triggers updates of data on the website and it's confirming that all those things are working that the way it should? Is that right? If that's what you write your test to do, then yeah. Okay. I mean, you have to write the code or yeah. generate it. <laughs> you can use the test generator to help you generate the code, but yes. But yeah, you're testing what the user would do. So if, you know, the user is buying an iWatch and their whole process of going through browsing, finding that button, clicking on it, and then putting in all, you know, payment details, whatever. You could obviously mock that because you're not going to put in your real credit card details. But you basically test the whole user experience. And there's so much. I mean, there's things people are testing that I haven't even gotten to, right? There's a hell of a lot of things. And there's API testing as well. So there's so much that you can test. But I always say to people that, Start at least testing one thing, test the login, test mm -hmm. the checkout, test the menu that it links and test the dark and light mode. You know, don't make people frustrated. If there's a price on the page, check that it should be 
a currency price and not XXX like I saw the other day on a website that I tweeted about, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's great. And I guess the thing I was differentiating between was there being that visual aspect versus what would be the traditional unit test type thing in JavaScript with something like Jess, where it's like, here's a function, no UI, no component, call the function, get the same return. But we're at like the level on top of that, the deeper, more integrated end-to-end level of testing. There was a question, can you add a little bit more to what component testing looks like with Playwright? Maybe what does the setup look like? How is it different than your regular end-to-end tests? So think of a component as an isolated component outside of the page. So it's like taking that component, be that login feature, and you're removing it from the page. And you're testing that that logs in. So what's it doing? Maybe it's calling, I don't know, some API to log in and logs you in. That's all it does. And then it might go to another page or whatever, but it's testing just that login. So when you do component testing, you're literally mounting a component onto an empty page. There's nothing else there. There's no header. There's no footer. There's nothing in that page, just that component. Because that component might be used in 20 places on your website, Mm -hmm. right? So if you know that that works once with component testing, when you slot it into those other pages, it's going to work. It's using behind the hood. That's why it's so fast as well. So it's Mm -hmm. great. And then get that preview. Shout out to V. Yes. And that's why it supports Vue and React and Svelte, but not Angular yet because V doesn't support Angular. So that's why Mm, the frameworks, which ones are supported. But yeah. Makes sense. It's still in experimental mode, so it's not fully like out of beta mode and stuff. But I definitely encourage people to test it out, check it out, give us feedback on it, because then we can improve it and make it better. And also, it's great to know kind of like, are people component testing? Because I'd love to know Mm -hmm. that. Or is it something like, that's too much work, it's easy to just write an end-to-end test and get it all done. I don't know. Maybe it makes sense if you're building a component library, you should totally write tests for your components, because those Mm -hmm. components are going to be used by various Mm -hmm websites and apps, etc. If you're just writing like me, just writing my website, would I do component testing? Maybe not because I don't need it because that component is just in the page and it's enough. So it depends on what you're doing. There's a definite place for component testing, but it doesn't mean you should only do component testing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess it's like similar benefit to why we have unit testing. Like first of all, the lines get blurred of like, when do you test what? How do you test what preferences do you have? So all that stuff is kind of up in the air to a certain extent. But the idea with unit testing is you're isolating this thing so that you can test it directly and not worry about how it gets impacted by other things first. And so yeah. it's a similar idea with component testing is you're taking this component. It might live in 50 different places on the site, but I want to test it directly without anything else to like change anything to make sure that it does the thing that I expect it to do at the right time, in the right way, et cetera. So it's it's just another level of isolation just isolation. to make sure that everything for that specific opponent. opponent and it's kind good. of more visual as well, right? Because mm-hmm. you can see it. You can see what's happening. You're actually interacting. You're clicking. You're filling out a form. You're doing something. Whereas with unit testing, you're just reading code and just writing code. So it's like, it's not as visual. I wanted to take a brief minute to talk about Hashnode. So Hashnode makes it easy to start a blog in seconds on your own custom domain for free. It's fully optimized for developers and supports writing in Markdown, rich embeds, publishing from a GitHub repository, syntax highlighting, and edge caching with Next.js blogs deployed on Vercel. On top of this, your article gets instant readership from the growing community. James and I have talked before on the podcast about how valuable creating content is and how developing an online presence really does give you respect and credibility in the tech space. And really, there's no better way to do that than through Hashnode. So be sure to go to Hashnode.com and join the community. Special thanks to Hashnode for being a Compressed FM sponsor. So one of the things that I'm interested in, since I'm a designer as well, 
is, is playwright capable of visual regression testing? So as far as I know, yes, but I haven't done anything to do with it or even looked at the docs on it. So I don't have much information for you except like, you know, read the documentation. But there are teams that are doing stuff. I have heard of people doing stuff with it, but I haven't dived into it yet. Cool. So and I can provide a little bit of context for that. So if you're running a visual regression test, a lot of times it will take sometimes a snapshot of your website or your component and then it will test it against another snapshot. So things like when you're writing normal tests, it might show your price amount as you would expect, but maybe something got messed up in the CSS. So that wouldn't get flagged within a normal test because you're still displaying that information, but it would get flagged within a visual regression test. Cool. I'm loving that this is like a, of an interactive stream. Got a, another question. What learning path do you recommend for component and unit testing, JavaScript, TypeScript, et cetera? I'm assuming, like you kind of mentioned early on, you mentioned TypeScript before JavaScript in terms of the testing. So TypeScript is like, yeah, the like... First class citizen, yeah, 100%. I mean, we're Microsoft, right? So TypeScript, obviously. <laughs> oh, I didn't even think about the correlation <laughs> yeah. of TypeScript to Microsoft. That <laughs> yeah. makes sense. Well, and the integration of VS Code. She's talking about the VS Code extension. Yeah. And yeah. next thing you'll tell me, it's got a great integration with GitHub too. And then it'll all come. Yeah, it actually does. It comes, <laughs> in, it comes in a GitHub Actions that you install and it automatically yeah. creates the action for oh, you. That's so and nice. all your tests that's amazing. are run and every push and pull request out of the box. Uh, nice. That's perfect. And it's so cool to see the difference of Microsoft now versus 10 years ago. Like, mm-hmm. especially when I first joined, Microsoft didn't have a good reputation with developers. It was not something mm-hmm. that people enjoyed. They didn't have a lot of trust earned with developers. And they started to just do more of these things that were like part of meeting developers really where they are. And yeah, I know a lot of people were really so worried about like the GitHub acquisition of Microsoft taking it and doing a Microsoft thing with it. But it's just only gotten better in yeah. so many ways. And now you get these integrations of things. And behind the scenes, Microsoft is suddenly, yeah, we're going to dominate this entire space. But it's because they have so many good tools and so many different areas of the development stack. It's really an exciting time, I think, for Microsoft. Which is- Kind of cool that I still get to work in open source, but work for mm-hmm. Microsoft. And yeah. I could never have thought five years ago that that was even a possibility. So that's mm-hmm. very cool. Oh, that's a good question because I'm not sure that I caught that. So is Playwright open source? Yep, 100% open okay. source. And it's all on GitHub. So you, if you wanted something, if you wanted like a new feature, et cetera, you create an issue like you would on any open source project and issues get upvoted the most. They're the ones that get worked on first. Okay. And we work heavily on GitHub through those. But yeah, all the code is there. So you can actually just see everything that we're doing, see everything that's mm-hmm. happening. And everything we do is for the community. We have a community Slack channel as well. So people can join that. We try to help people as much as possible when we can. And yeah, you can contribute. So if you wanted to create something for Playwright or contribute to code, you can totally do that as well. I love how you're talking about Microsoft's reputation changing. I feel like mm-hmm. a big part of it is they haven't been like, oh, guess what? We own all these things. Look how awesome we are. They just like sneak these little features in and people love them. Mm -hmm. And they don't even tell people like inside Microsoft. So sometimes I feel like, like, oh, Playwright is from Microsoft. And I'm like, oh my God, you didn't know that? Mm -hmm. So yeah, I've learned there's a lot of people don't know all the tools at Microsoft because there's so many, right? Mm -hmm. TypeScript, sometimes people don't even realize that that's Microsoft Mm -hmm. as well. I bet a lot of people don't. I bet a lot of people Mm -hmm. has never crossed their minds. And even... Like you mentioned TypeScript earlier. I know TypeScript is from Microsoft, but I I don't immediately think Microsoft when I think of TypeScript because TypeScript yeah. has such it's a strong benefit mm-hmm. and value and brand in and of itself. It doesn't need 
Microsoft's names attached with it for people to understand its importance and love it. Like Amy and I, more and more, our friend Dustin is in the chat. He was a big one in getting Amy on board with yeah. TypeScript. So we both come a long way with our enjoyment of working with TypeScript. Yeah, and I think that's kind of like what we want to do at Playwright as well. We want it to be seen as its own kind of mm -hmm. thing, right? Just the way like GitHub is seen as GitHub, TypeScript is TypeScript, Playwright is Playwright. And the more people we get in the community to build that up, you know, the better. Cool. One comment, this may or may not need like a bigger conversation, but I thought it was interesting about the component testing is Eddie saying it sounds similar to how Storybook helps you separate components, but now with automated tests. And so, yeah, it's a common theme for exactly the same benefits that we talked about before of like, you can isolate, this is what I'm going to have, and this is how it's going to act and the different parameters that a component might take or like whatever it is, but being able to test that thing directly to make sure it looks, interacts and does the things that it's supposed to. Yeah, and Storybook actually used Playwright to test all their components. Oh, what? Cool. <laughs> That's awesome. There's so many nuggets here. Yeah. <laughs> they had a talk on it as well, telling them about how they use Playwright, how they integrate it, and what they do. So, yeah, I mm -hmm. learned a lot awesome. speaking to the Storybook guys. Very cool. There's another question. I'm not sure this is a little bit back in our conversation, I think, but asking, do you have to inject something like Percy into it? I'm not, do either of you know mm. what Percy is? Yes. So Percy is used for visual regression testing. So that was going back to the visual yep. regression part. Okay, gotcha. So maybe maybe not something we can add additional context to specifically yeah. with Playwright right now. So when you're using Cypress, you have to integrate into something else in order to get that visual regression mm, testing. So okay. you're either going to use Percy. I think Apple Tools is another option, but you have to reach it for another tool in order to get all that to work. Gotcha. Very cool. Another question about hiring at Microsoft question is Microsoft still hiring? I can't imagine there's ever a day where Microsoft isn't hiring. <laughs> Maybe a specific question for is your team growing? Are they looking for people specifically for Playwright? Do you know if they have open positions for that? No, for Playwright at the moment, I wish. Oh my God, because I have so much work. I would love yeah. to take someone on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? I know there's plans on kind of like, you know, a similar role to me to kind of do similar for maybe VS Code or TypeScript and things mm -hmm. like that. But I don't know exactly, like they're just kind of ideas, right? Yeah. I don't know what is actually out there, but there's a whole website with all the jobs. And it's basically like I applied as a normal person would through an application process, right? So that's how someone sent me the application and said like, hey, look at this job. This I think you'd be good at this. And I was like, oh my God, no, I won't. <laughs> but then you fill out that whole thing. So basically, that's what I suggest you do is go to the website and check the openings, check what's there, and then kind of fill everything out depending on what, job you are looking for, what area you want to work in. Love it. I wanted to take a brief minute to talk about daily.dev. First, I think we all recognize how hard it is to stay up to date with the latest and greatest within the tech community. But there are resources like daily.dev that provide a community-based feed of the best developer news, helping you stay current. Daily.dev aggregates hundreds of sources every few minutes and creates a personalized feed just for you according to your interests. So whether that's web dev, data science, or Elixir, anything you might be interested in, it has content for you. There is a web version of the product if you wanna see exactly what the feed looks like. Otherwise, just go over to daily.dev and there's a link directly on the homepage to install their extension within your browser. From there, Anytime you want to load a new tab, you'll see the newsfeed. James and I both have it installed and use it to stay current ourselves, and so should you. So go check it out at daily.dev. Special thanks to daily.dev for being a Compressed FM sponsor. 
kind of curious for me, what was your interview process like with Microsoft? Mm. Was like how technical, what sort of questions did you have a take home thing? Like what all was involved in that? So it was actually the best interview process I've ever had. Seriously, I'm not just saying that because I work for them, right? But I will be honest and say I had gone through the Google process, which as everyone knows, it's hard. They just make it difficult and nothing against them because, you know, it was an experience and all experiences are good because they learned a lot from it. But I had to do a lot of studying, you know, data structures and algorithms and Mm -hmm. they sent me all that. And then it was literally a whiteboard exam, right? Mm -hmm. So I left the Google interview process and I'd literally just got the note from Google because, um, I didn't do well, but I knew I didn't do well. I was like, my whole brain stopped working. I had no syntax highlighting. I didn't know what I was doing. I was like, oh, this is not how I code. This is not how I do things. And they were like, yeah, just reapply in six months. We really want you to do well, blah, blah. And I was like, okay, I'm never applying for another job ever again. (laughs) And then the Microsoft one came up. I'm like, you know, I was like, oh, I can't do this. I don't know enough about data structures. I haven't got a computer science degree. I can't pass these kind of exams. And the hiring manager was like, no, no, we don't do that. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Now I'm interested. <laughs> now I'm interested, yeah. <laughs> and uh, it was basically, he told me the process. So basically, like, he wanted to create a process that was more real to the job. What was my job going to be? It was going to be to advocate for playwright. So mm-hmm. what did he want from me? To present in front of a lot of managers what playwright was. Create that presentation like a talk at a conference. Pretend I'm on the stage at a conference and have those people ask me questions as if they knew nothing about playwright, and I answer those questions. So that was the kind of technical interview process, I guess, right? So I created a talk, I learned playwright in the space of a couple of weeks, literally did a hell of a lot of research, everything I could, created the slides, practiced it, and then gave that presentation. I spoke way too fast. I was like, oh my God, I failed, I spoke too fast. But obviously you still get hired if you speak too fast with your nervous, so that was good. And then, yeah, the questions were you know, quite technical on after that, as if you'd be on a conference stage where someone can show you, or just like right now without, you know, regression mm-hmm. testing, I don't know the answer. And it's okay to say that too, right? I don't know the answer. And then I had like three one-to-one interviews with different people. And it was the first time ever I've been interviewed by a woman. First time ever I was interviewed by a person of color. And I was like, wow, the diversity wow. here yeah. is insane. My interviews were scheduled, I can't remember, it was like say 45 minutes. And we went like overtime on all of them. We kept running out of time and kept talking over And in any moment, I didn't feel like someone was trying to eliminate me from the process, right? You know, the way Mm -hmm. like you have a job interview and they're trying to eliminate people and they're trying to like Mm -hmm. make you trip up. They just wanted to know about me, what I had done, my experience, my knowledge. It's like, tell me about this, but tell me about this, right? As opposed to where they ask some questions, you try and kind of trip you up. Mm-hmm. It was like being on a podcast interview. All my interviews were like being on a podcast. And I was like, oh my God, if this is the interview process, I want to work <laughs> for that company, right? And that really made me kind of go, oh my God, I don't know if I've messed this up or anything, but I really want to work for this company. And I like, always wanted to work for Microsoft, but now I want to work for them more. And after the Google process, I was like, this is such a nicer process. These care about you know you as a person, as opposed to caring about how your brain is working on a whiteboard, right? Which is a different kind of concept to interviewing. I love that perspective change. Yeah, Mm -hmm. of not trying to eliminate somebody, but just get to know them. Yeah. Yeah. And then you feel like when you get the job, you're like, you now know me. I've been honest. We've been Mm -hmm. honest. We've had a conversation. Mm -hmm. You. This is it, right? There's no like, uh, oh no, I'm going to get fired tomorrow because I told them I know this when I don't know this. It was all totally open and honest and that makes Mm -hmm. it a lot easier. Agreed. Yeah. It makes a big difference. And especially cool, like, thinking already that you wanted to work for a company and then getting to interact with them and then like reassuring that thought 
And you mentioned diversity. Someone, this is going to be like, I don't know a great way to phrase this question, but someone kind of mentioned this before, just the idea of needing more women in tech. And I think Mm -hmm. like, I look at you as one of those like strong voices and experience levels (laughs) for women in tech. Is that something that you think about? Like just having visibility for other like earlier stage women in tech, women in tech who maybe question their ability to have like impact and influence, positively influence others. Like again, kind of a vague random question, but is that something that you think about like your path being beneficial for so many other people that like want to progress in their careers as women in tech? I guess it is, although I don't think I'm like, you know, big enough to be known to be found by people. So it's like kind of if people follow me and find it, then maybe, yeah, it does inspire and help others. But there's a lot of other women out there who are, have such big followers that like they're kind of like seen. But I have like a video that was recorded literally four years ago when I was studying JavaScript. And it was about like, you know, I didn't think I was going to make it. And it was like, never give up. And they recorded this video at that time when I didn't even know if I was going to get a job, if mm-hmm. it was going to work out. And that video has like a hundred, more than a hundred thousand views oh, cool. it's from open classrooms. And so many people have come back to me and said, thanks to watching that video, mm-hmm. they gave it a go and they said, okay, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to start. So I always kind of, I mean, never really thought about the getting to somewhere, but always thought about, hey, look, if I can do it, if I can give up my job and go back to studying and learning JavaScript and like, I'm going to be honest, I'm 43 right now. I'm not young, right? So I was like, what, 38, 39 or 38, I don't know, I can't do much. But yeah, 38 <laughs> when I started like studying again, right? And that's kind of like at the age of like, you know, people think, oh, it's too late. My career's yep. over. I can't do this. And actually you so can. So it doesn't matter what age you are in your career. You can actually just start again and, you know, do that. And I mean, I I was always the only woman ever in every company I worked in, especially in Mallorca in, you know, developing, right? Some people were in design, for, but in actual coding, except for the last couple of companies then it, women mm-hmm. started to become you know part of the workforce and but i was never ever interviewed by a woman i've never seen a woman in a managerial position in the jobs i have been in in spain or the places i've interviewed for in spain could be a spanish thing could be an all world thing sometimes you don't know i do a lot of sport sometimes i'm the only woman who's going cycling sometimes i'm the only woman at a taekwondo competition right you know these things happen right so it's not just in tech, I think it's in a general thing because women are a lot of people, a lot of women are, you know, at home with children and that's still there. But definitely it's changing a lot. And on our team, there's a lot of women on our team. There's, you know, on the community team. And we hired just one recently as well. So it's kind of like great. Then on, with Playwright itself, yes, I am the only woman on that part of the team, right? The rest of them are all men. But it's totally cool because there are not a lot of women out there. And I think that's People, we want to hire more women, but the women aren't there. So we mm-hmm. need to push for that so that more women are getting back into coding, especially like new mothers who've just got small children and stuff. Well, this is a great job. You can work remote. You can work from home. You can work mm-hmm. the hours you want to work. This is amazing. This is what people will be looking for. But yeah, I hope that maybe people <laughs> would look at me and say, look, she got to there and she's a woman and she's a Microsoft. But I guess I never really look at that in, in the sense of a woman thing. But I do a lot of mentoring for women and telling them, you know, but I, yeah, I guess I just forget <laughs> that I've achieved stuff. Sometimes you forget like, oh my God, I achieved this. I did this, right? And you're kind of like, oh no. One thing I was going to say about the interviewing process that I really liked and I forgot to mention it was that they told me who was going to interview me, which is something mm-hmm. that's never happened to me before, which meant I could, you know, Google oh, it first yeah. and check them up. And I read their blog posts and I read stuff about them. So when I had that interview with them, 
I was able to bring up, hey, I read your blog post on imposter syndrome. I suffer from this too. How at Microsoft do we deal with imposter syndrome? And that was a really nice way of getting to know the person as opposed to walking in there and really not knowing who you're speaking to. So I just wanted to mention that as well. Yeah, very cool. It does. It like recognizing a face from LinkedIn going into a Zoom interview or in person or whatever is there's a level of like calming that comes with it just to have the littlest bit of knowledge of who the person is. Yeah. And it's different as well, interviewing on Zoom compared to like uh-huh. in person, right? Because you have to create that kind of first of all, hey, how's it yep. going? Which in person is easier to do. Much, much easier to do in person. Absolutely. Sweet. So we do a section called picks and plugs where a pick is something that you've used, bought, watched, listened to, whatever it is that you've enjoyed recently that you want to share with people and then something that you want to plug for yourself or a community that you're involved in. Debbie, do you have a pick and a plug that you want to share? I do. Yes. You want me to go first? Yeah, do it. Okay, so I'm going to like go totally off track and you're going to think I'm totally weird. But already, you're going to get to already know. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to get to know the real me. So yesterday, because my, I don't know if you call it the same in America, but my like hob the for cooking on, right? Mm-hmm. You call it hob, yeah? Is it an island? An island. I like stovetop. <laughs> Like a stove top, right? But not for yeah. gas. Oh. For like, you know, like it's mine's like, electric, but uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Got it. So petrometric things. So yeah, <laughs> it broke. And I had to buy a new one. So I went in to buy a new one. So I'm in the shop and I got this one. And I am absolutely in love with it because it's absolutely incredible. So it's you know that we have circles, right? To put mm-hmm. the pots on. Uh-huh. There's no circles, it's all lines. Hmm. So you're like, where do you put the pot? You put it wherever you want. Uh-huh. Which oh is really cool. Is it lines like all the way across? It's got lines all the way across. Yeah. And it's kind of like split. So you kind of like could put like, say, one, two, three, four, right? So uh-huh. you have four at once. Or you could have a big like paella one in the middle. Maybe you're cooking paella. Oh, right? okay. Or you could have a big massive one in one corner and a small one in another. And then you've got all these like, this is a Bosch one and it's called a Flexi Index. So you've got all these kind of controls, which is totally digital, right? So you can like click on one. You're going to go, I'm going to fry something, right? What kind of temperature do I want the oil? And mm-hmm. it's going to like know which temperature you want. So you click on that one and it's going to like, you know, keep it at say you're doing fries, right? So it's going to like 190 degrees or whatever. And you click on that one. And then you've got like another function that like moves it. So it's going to, if you're going to change the pot from the front to the back and you're going to say switch temperatures, and then you'd like switch from the front to the back and it's going to like what? change the temperature for what? you. And I'm just like, I'm clicking all these buttons. Like, I'm having so much fun with this. This is so cool. <laughs> I wonder if they have testing for it. <laughs> <laughs> or something with that does heat control. I would hope so. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. That's but yeah, awesome. that's, cool. that's it. So I wrote a tweet literally yesterday that you should all follow. And it's basically on the new VS Code extension features for Playwright. And it's really cool because you can literally like, obviously install Playwright directly from VS Code, use Playwright without actually ever opening the terminal. You can run the tests, but there's now these new features where you can show the browsers. So you can actually click the button and browsers will pop up and it will like run through everything so you can see what's happening, which is kind of cool if you're testing light mode and dark mode so you can really see, I did change the dark mode, it did change the light mode. And then you can like pick selectors straight from it. It's going to record it. You can record your test using the test generator. So you can actually like, you know, click that. And you haven't even opened the terminal at all. And you've done all this stuff right from VS Code, live debugging as well. So check out my tweet on that. And I would love everyone to just like, it takes like two and a half minutes, I think, to actually like install that and run your first test. So if you have two and a half minutes of your life, just dedicate it to testing a playwright and tell me what you think. 
I mean, are you ready yes, for a Pixel Plugs? Actually, I had one in the queue. I'm so thankful. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> so my pick for this week is a dummy battery. And I use this for my DSLR camera. Actually, this is mirrorless. But what it does is it means that you're not having to go through batteries. It's mm-hmm. like a fake battery that you plug into your camera. And then you can plug it into an outlet so that it's running with electricity. It also keeps your camera cool so it doesn't overheat if you have it going for an extended period of time. So I can send you the one that I have for my camera. I don't know how helpful that'll be because it's for my camera, which is a Nikon. But most cameras have that as an option. And the ones that I've bought, they're made for my camera, but it's not like a Nikon brand. And I've still had a lot of success with them. So check out a dummy battery. For my plug, I'm going to plug the Learn, Build, Teach Discord community, which is part of the Discord server that James runs. It's a great place to get connected with other people. If you have questions, a great place to ask them and get answers. Whether you're new to coding or you've been around for a while, it's a great place to connect with other people. So definitely check it out. If you go to learnbuildteach.com, it will redirect you to the Discord server. Sweet. For my pick, this is not anything super specific, but I just ordered one from Amazon that I'll be in tomorrow to help me with. I can't remember if I mentioned this before we started recording or not, but Jess is out of town for the week or 10 days. And I gave myself a project and I'm doing built-in seating in our kitchen, like eat-in kitchen, which is the biggest DIY project I've ever taken on. I've spent like, like 12 hours probably or so working on it so far, maybe more over this week. It's been a ton of fun, but I find myself like going back and forth between outside to cut something and inside to measure it and see if it fits, etc. And I'm trying to carry like a tape measure and a pencil and a square and all these things. And anyway, so I ordered a tool belt so I can clip on the tool belt, put the hammer, tape measure, pencils. I ordered some extra pencils too because I can never find any. And all the things with me and carry those around. So nothing specific, but if you're doing any DIY stuff, it is helpful to have something to help you carry some of the smaller tools around with you as you go back and forth between wherever the different places are that you're going. And then for my plug, I'm going to do a specific video on YouTube. So for Compressed FM, I started working on some automation for cover images. And I did an endpoint that will listen for updates from Sanity for episodes. This is like maybe broken behind the scenes and we haven't quite fixed it, but in theory it works. But it'll listen for updates from Sanity as we create a new episode or edit an episode. It will take the information for the guest and the title and the guest's image and then create a cover image for it automatically using Cloudinary. So I did a video just recently on my YouTube channel of kind of walking through how to dynamically, programmatically generate images with text overlays and image overlays using Cloudinary, which is a ton of fun. So you can find that on my YouTube channel at James Q Quick. I need to check that video. I had a lot of fun with it. Yeah. James <laughs> Kuehl built quick. <laughs> That's definitely my new name. <laughs> my commenting cloud is another cool company. Absolutely agree. All right. That is going to wrap it up for this episode of Compressed FM. And the next guest episode, we're going to talk to Jacob Stordahl about Svelte and third-party JavaScript. So looking forward to nice. that. Make sure you bring up Playwright. Playwright. Svelte yes. Like Svelte. We're going to talk about Svelte, Playwright. And third-party JavaScript. (laughs) But yeah, Debbie, thank you for joining us. Cool. Thank you so much, both of you. Hopefully see you soon. And then like Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in Spain. Yes, in real life.